When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there, listeners. Welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to another episode of Headlines, where we cover the most important environmental headlines that you need to know about in under 15 minutes. Some Fridays we have a theme. Today there's no theme. This is a mix and match smorgasbord of stories that I think you need to know about. We're going to start off today talking about Florida's coral reefs. In recent weeks, a devastating, blistering marine heat wave has sent water temperatures off the coast of South Florida skyrocketing to record highs. I've mentioned on a previous headline episode, the water temperature is more akin to a hot tub than an ocean. South Florida is also home to the largest living barrier reef in the continental United States. So let's talk about coral for a minute. What is coral? You likely have a picture of it in your mind. Coral is an animal, and it can be hard for humans to connect and care about an animal that doesn't have two eyes and a face. But coral is indeed an animal. It's made up of thousands of polyps. It uses tentacle-like arms to scoop up food that's drifting by. And on top of that, plant-like organisms also reside inside most coral. Reef-building coral prefers water that is between 73 and 84 degrees Fahrenheit. They can endure temperatures to up to 104 degrees for a short period of time. But if the water is too warm for them for too long of a time, coral will turn a deathly white that is called bleaching. Now, why should you care about this animal named coral? Well, healthy coral reefs are a very strong buffer against coastal storms and erosion. A weak, dead coral reef will be chewed up by the wave and will not provide any coastal protection in storms. If you're a seafood lover, you should care about coral because coral support a quarter of all marine life. Fish and lobsters in particular rely on coral as a food source and the organisms that live inside the coral. And finally, we're going to talk about antibiotics later in the show, but the third reason why you should care about coral is that in recent years, medical researchers have extracted chemicals from coral to help make better antibiotics. So we know what coral is, we know why we should care about coral reefs, and unfortunately, much of the Caribbean is projected to see coral-damaging temperatures in the coming weeks. There is an alert scale for corals, and the current conditions 
are in the most extreme category. This extreme category is projected to remain in place for at least the next 12 weeks, so three months. Now, there are some things being done to help the coral off of Florida's coast. Two urgent efforts are happening at the same time. First is scientific teams are collecting small fragments of genetically unique coral and storing them on land in gene banks. This is critical for preventing any losses of genetic diversity. And number two, the second thing that's happening simultaneously is scientists are rescuing healthy coral stock, which then can be used to make more coral or be planted onto damaged reefs. Moving on, let's move on and talk about the endangered golden lion tamarin. They are rebounding in Brazil's Atlantic forest. Yay, some good news. There are now more golden lion tamarins bonding between branches in the Brazilian rainforest than at any time since the 1970s. These endangered gold lion tamarins were on the brink of extinction. There were only at one point at their lowest 200 animals left in the wild, but their population has rebounded to 4,800, according to a new study released two weeks ago. Now, what's a golden lion tamarin? It's a small monkey and it's super cute. It has a long tail, copper colored fur. They live in family groups that are led by a mated pair. Usually, the pair gives birth annually every single year to twins, and then all family members help raise the babies by bringing them food, carrying them on their backs. Now, why did they become endangered? Well, we're talking about Brazil and we're talking about Brazil's Atlantic forest. They likely became endangered because of deforestation. There was also a yellow fever outbreak amongst the population. And scientists intervened by vaccinating more than 370 monkeys against yellow fever. Fun fact here, they used a shot that was adapted from a formula for humans. Now let's zoom out and talk a little bit about reforestation in the Atlantic forest. Centuries ago, the Atlantic forest used to cover the entire eastern coast of Brazil. But today, only 12% of that forest remains. In 2009, the Atlantic Forest Restoration Pact began with the goal of restoring more than 37 million acres by 2050. This pact is a pact between members in the private sector, civil society, and the government. And it's working. The Atlantic Forest Restoration Pact has contributed to reforesting an area the size of the Netherlands back into Brazil. Amazing news. Now we are moving on to another completely unrelated story, and it is discussing something we already know. The richest Americans account for 40% of U.S. climate emissions, but not for the reason you'd expect, and that's why I'm highlighting it here. So we talked many a time on this show about how your income is directly related to your emissions. And yes, the private jets, the yachts, the on-the-go lifestyle, the excess money to buy excess things, that all does contribute to your carbon footprint. However, a study released on Thursday looked deeper into how a household's income generates emissions. They did this by analyzing income data across U.S. households from 1990 to 2019 and linked it to emissions directed directly and indirectly from that income. 
So yes, people often think of their carbon footprint in terms of consumption, how they get to work, what they eat. But according to this study, that understanding of a carbon footprint provides an incomplete view of who is responsible for greenhouse gas activity and why. What interested me about this new study, I'm going to get to it, I know, I'm building up to it, but what interested me about this study and the reason why I wanted to highlight it today is that many of the ways people earn money are linked to carbon pollution. So how and where you earn your wages, yes, but more specifically, where you're investing parts of your income. These investments, and especially if they're linked with fossil fuel-related industries, that is what is seriously tipping the scale for who is most responsible for the nation's greenhouse gas emissions. So the study found that the top 1% of households accounted for 15 to 17% of the nation's emissions. And the reason why is their investment holdings made up 38 to 42% of their emissions. So what's the take-home message here? Look at your investment portfolio, assuming you have one. Are you supporting fossil fuel giants? And if the answer is yes, perhaps one of the most eco-friendly actions that you can take right now is to divest from these companies. This research also highlighted both the equity problems and the environmental racism problem. So the highest emissions linked to income from this study came from white, non-Hispanic homes. The lowest emissions came from black households. Tying in the equity problem, previous research has shown that extreme weather events are made worse because of climate change, yes, and they often have a greater effect on low-income communities. So check your investment portfolios. If you want to do an action with the most bang for your buck, it's not bringing your cup to Starbucks. It's not line drying your clothes. It's looking at your investment portfolio and divesting from those fossil fuel companies. We are going to take our quick ad break, and when we come back, we are going to get into today's feature story, which is all about air pollution and antibiotics. I'll see you in a minute. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow 
we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. And we're back. Before the break, we covered rising temperature and its effects on coral reefs on South Florida. We highlighted some good news with regard to the golden lion tamarin and its population bouncing back. We also got into a new study about exactly how and exactly why the richest Americans are contributing the highest amount to U.S. climate emissions. And now we're on to today's feature story, which is all about the connection between air pollution and antibiotic resistance. They seem like two completely different problems. However, new research suggests that they are connected. Let's talk about air pollution first. It is a big problem, especially in our era of not only smog, but wildfires, right? We all know this to be true thanks to this summer. Terrible air quality from wildfires left portions of the U.S. and Canada in that haze. Many of us were urged to stay indoors, even though we were hundreds, if not thousands of miles away from the wildfires. Well, a new study found that air pollution, so air pollution is linked to cancer, respiratory illnesses, cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and more. I could go on, but in the efforts of time, I will stop there. So in addition to all of that, air pollution is very concerning for another reason. And that another reason is it may be linked to antibiotic resistance. So now let's table air pollution for one minute and talk about antibiotic resistance. For years, scientists have been sounding the alarm about the consequences, the deadly consequences of antibiotic resistance. They call it the silent pandemic. Antibiotic resistance has largely been attributed to the overuse and misuse of antibiotics. I must say, earlier this summer, my oldest daughter, Ani, we found a tick in her hair on her scalp. And this is a tangent, but just stay with me. We need a lighthearted story here, (laughs) don't we? We're talking about antibiotic resistance. So we found a deer tick in her hair. It was gigantic. It had clearly been there for more than 24 hours. We pulled it out and brought her straight to the pediatrician. And the pediatrician said, and I said to the pediatrician, quick, give me the antibiotics. Give me that doxycycline. I do not want her to have Lyme disease. (laughs) And the pediatrician said, no, we're going to wait. And I was shocked. I mean, she has a deer tick on her. It's been on there for 24 to 48 hours minimum. Lyme disease is concerning. Well, my pediatrician said he wanted to wait until further signs of Lyme disease showed themselves. So we waited and we watched. And sure enough, the bullseye came, the telltale Lyme disease bullseye. 
It was hard to see because it was, again, in her very thick, dark hair, but it was there. We went back, and only then would he prescribe the doxycycline. And so I say this to say doctors are, at least my doctor, is working hard to combat the overuse and misuse of antibiotics, which has been attributed to antibiotic resistance, not in the person, but in the population. Antibiotic resistance was responsible for at least 1.27 million deaths globally in 2019, and that's according to the CDC. In December of 2022, the World Health Organization warned that high levels of resistance in bacteria causing life-threatening bloodstream infections in hospitals was making it harder for hospitals to treat common infections. And so let's bring air pollution back into this conversation. Let's link air pollution to antibiotic resistance. Researchers found significant correlations worldwide between the air pollutant PM2.5, which is basically just a name to describe tiny particles of solids and liquids in the air, like dust, dirt, soot, and antibiotic resistance. So the study looked at data from 116 countries over 18 years, and this link between air pollution and antibiotic resistance is, quote, according to the study, increasing at an accelerating rate. They also say that this could hasten the beginning of the post-antibiotic era in which superbugs become prevalent. So there's an intersection here of two things, two bad things happening at the same time. From 2016 to 2019, deaths caused by antibiotic resistance increased more than 80%. So that's one. And two, air pollution is continuing to worsen worldwide as a result of climate change. Not-so-fun fact, a study published in March found that nearly every person on the planet is exposed to unhealthy air pollution. Every single person on the planet. So pair all this with previous research, which has suggested that rising local temperatures and population density are associated with increasing antibiotic resistance, and we have a major problem on our hands. All right, so... I'll leave you on that. Superbugs are coming our way, perhaps. We'll see you on Tuesday where we are discussing how eco-conscious families budget, like exactly how. A few of you have reached out lately and said that you love these headlines episodes and because of them, you feel better informed. I'm so happy you're listening. And if you receive benefit from these headlines episodes in particular, and you have not left the show a rating or review yet, please consider doing so. Thank you. And if you don't listen on Apple, maybe you just tell a friend in your life about this show, and I would be so unbelievably grateful. Thank you. See you Tuesday, and take care. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide-open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its Opry ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com.